Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. All right. Welcome to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today's podcast is one that I'm actually, I've been very excited for. We've attempted to record it multiple times. We've had some technical difficulties and then scheduling issues. So we finally get to do it. Today's topic is on our parent pet peeves, stereotypes, and myths that just kind of myth us. Like if we could, you know, demystify some of these um, stereotypes and myths, what would they be? I feel like there's a a long laundry list um, of things that I've, you know, there's things that rub me wrong. I know that you have a different set of things that irritate you. And so this is kind of our opportunity to kind of vent. And also, um, David, you, you're joining us today. Um, you're, you're also one of my big advocates of, you know, um, people just don't know what they don't know. And so it's kind of our job to educate people. So I feel like this is that podcast, right? Um, so we'll go ahead and start with David. Um, David, how about you? So do you have any particular pet peeves or um, stereotypes that you don't um, appreciate or don't feel are accurate or any myths that you feel like are not necessarily accurate that you want to um, shed some light on? I think um, starting in the pet peeve department and again, in trying to understand that people are just trying to connect, but uh, they sometimes people ask you, well, what's it like in a situation like X? And you say, oh, it's like this. Oh, yeah, my kid does that, too. It's like um, I couldn't I'll go into like explaining like the 658 other things that make my kid different than yours. Um, but I just don't have the time. So I'm just going to agree with you. Yeah, you're right. It's probably the, about the same when in my mind, there's a bit of a, a resentment of like, okay, can, you know, you, you've asked for some information. I'm trying to give it to you. Um, it almost sounds a little bit petty as I'm saying it, but at the same time, it's like, you want to illustrate that no, there is, it is a lot different. And just because, you know, yours has an aversion to broccoli, it's not nearly the same as the that my, you know, Morgan will eat maybe three things total that exist in the food world. Um, and so that's just a tough one that kind of overcome. Yeah, I agree. And you're absolutely right. People are just finding something to have that connection with so that they can relate, but it's really difficult because so often, um, you know, it's not apples to apples. So I definitely get that. Do you have any other myths that bug you just in terms of what people's perception of um, autism yeah, you know, I mean, you and I have discussed this. It's on other podcasts, but I guess it bears repeating. I've just stopped uh, referring to her as high functioning in the realm of, um, you know, I guess the spectrum world. Technically, she qualifies as high functioning because she doesn't have speech issues. Um, and by all appearances, she, uh, you know, it's so many times you hear, oh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to tell otherwise. Um, but at the same time, then all the misconceptions and all the things that attributed to high functioning. Oh my gosh. So she's going to have some sort of splinter skill and she's going to make millions of dollars and she's going to excel in some areas. Like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't see any of that yet. And I mean, I don't want to set myself up for the expectation. If it happens, you know, what a blessing, 
And, you know, we're going to continue to try to cultivate that throughout our lives. And we're sitting there just like, what's that thing? What's that thing? But at the same time, there's almost expectation. Oh, good. Well, then she's high functioning. It's like, no, not good. So I'm just not going to describe her that way anymore. She has autism and we don't know where this is going to go. She's on the spectrum. She's always going to struggle. She'll probably be in our care for the rest of our lives. So I've just kind of removed that from the equation. Yeah, no, I, and I think that's a good point because you're right. I, I personally get the, um, what is one of my pet peeves is, you know, we as a family are very open about just, you know, disclose full disclosure that Caleb has, you know, high functioning autism. And I've had numerous people say, well, you know, if you didn't tell anybody, no one would know. Like I'm supposed to be keeping it like on the down low and that I'm somehow damaging him by just providing that information. And we've done podcasts before where we've talked about, you know, the pros and cons of just being open and honest, you know, should you keep the diagnosis a secret or should you just be open? And we've had real negative things um, happen when we aren't open and forthcoming with that information because he makes social mistakes um, he is rigid on his likes and dislikes. And so, again, while, you know, I, I also don't want to give Caleb the feeling that, you know, somehow we, it's, we need to keep it a secret, like it's a bad thing. And so I really want to be careful about, you know, like, um, but it's it's one of those things, it's education. People need to understand that, you know, autism is not a bad thing. Autism is what makes Caleb Caleb. And so, you know, like keeping it a secret um, and something that we're not talking about, we don't share that with people as a means for them to understand him um, and help him navigate some of these more difficult social situations isn't doing anyone any good. You know what I mean? And so that is one of my personal pet peeves when we're talking about that. I'm with you. I'm kind of getting to that point. You and I have had this conversation um, several times about, you know, I think I'm getting to the point where dropping the high functioning just because of those preconceived ideas and then it kind of just, you know, what is high functioning? You know what I'm saying? Now, John, um, who's with me here, he his son is more profoundly affected by autism. Um, and so, um, you know, I feel like for us, when it comes to Cooper, we have to explain that, like, you know, oh, well, you know, he he's not going to actually talk back to you. Like, you know, when you're talking to him, like, just understand that, you know, like still greet him and, you know, ask him questions, but just understand that he's probably not going to answer. He might repeat what you say to him back. Um, and he's 17, he'll be 17 here next month. But, um, what about you, John, in terms of other, um, pet peeves or stereotypes or myths that have bothered you as Cooper's dad? Well, I know like, and David really kind of touched on something here. People try to find common ground with their kids. Oh yeah, my kid does this and that. And I'm like, no, you, you don't understand when, when you, when your son, you know, whips his pants down and pees in the, you know, it's a small world, right? People have no concept of what that, what that is like. Right. I mean, and they'll talk about, Oh, well, my kid, you know, I had a struggle in a class. I'm like, well, you know, I don't care about Cooper, you know, learning to read or write or anything else. I want him to be able to engage people socially and ask questions for, you know, for the things that he needs. And, and, I guess some of the things everybody seems to think that uh, there's some gift that he has and what's his special skill. What's his talent? Yeah, like he's at a circus show people. Like he's not a circus show. Like I don't know when I find out, I'll let him know. But I mean, at this point it's like, uh, I guess maybe his special talent is just ignoring people that are talking to him. I mean, I kind of wish that I could do that. But Well, we do sometimes say that his special talent might be eating because yeah. um, he loves to eat. It is his favorite pastime. Um, it definitely is. Um, you know, I don't know if you consider it a special talent other than he's very talented in his creativity to access food. 
So that's a special talent. So he's very good at that. He'd be a, good, he'd be a survivor. He Oh, he'd be a survivor. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think too, um, you know, with Cooper being more impacted, you know, you get comments like the, oh, you know, we'll pray for a cure or, yeah. oh, you know, God gives special kids to special people. And it's like, that's not helpful. Um, you know, also too, you know, Cooper does have a habit of just, if he has to pee, he just like pees wherever we're at. And people are like, oh, that's okay. My kids do that camping. We're not camping and it's not okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can't just let him do that. You know what I mean? And you're right. People are trying. Well, to, like, recently, uh, actually Holly's been working with him. So he, he took a shower and we're trying to teach him to, you know, to put his jockey shorts on and not just come barging out of the bathroom because, you know, he does have a little stepsister and other things. And it's and like, you sister, know, this yeah. is. You know, and, and uh, he protests, of course, because he has his system. But yeah, he wants me to, to blow dry. He wants to be totally dry, meaning we have to blow dry his hair before he'll put on his underwear or anything else. Right. And I'm like, Cooper, I'm a girl. Kelly's a girl. I will not blow dry your hair until you put the underwear on. And he gets mad. Um, but he but, finally relented. Yes, but we're working but on that's that. first time, too. So Yes, but that's one of those things where it's like, you know, we're girls and there's girls around here. So I will blow dry your hair when the underwear is on. But he just, you know, doesn't care. Um, but that's that, you know, thing where, you know, um, everything happens for a reason. And well, you know, people, he's so special. And, and In five seconds, you look at him, you know, exactly. It sums up. I mean, yeah. It's not like, you know, that's one of the things I would say with, with like with Caleb is, He's a very engaging young man. He's very intelligent. And when he gets into something he uh, has, he, he likes or he's, in, you know, engaged in, he can carry a conversation with somebody who's PhD level. I mean, and but he, yet he can't uh, tell you how he feels about certain things, right? So that's one of the things, I guess, that uh, uh, I appreciate Caleb a lot because he's very, he's testing the water all the time. Though. And one thing I can say about him, he's super, super smart and trying to, I guess, round himself out, work on the things that he's weak about. And, you know, the only thing that bothers me is another pet peeve is that um, the stereotype that like all people with high functioning autism are like these crazy geniuses like Bill Gates or Sheldon Cooper, you know, and that's another one too, because Caleb has splinter skills. He's really good and can talk a lot about things that he likes. Yeah. Like coding and all of those things. But by and large, most people don't want to talk about coding or fox habitats and things like that or Roblox. I mean, David, maybe you're a Roblox family, too. So, I mean, you know what I mean? Um, so, yeah, asteroids. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, there's always that thought that he's this genius. But, you know, understand that Caleb is a sixth grader and still can't tell you what six times eight is without actually doing the calculation with like little scratches on a. On a piece of paper. Of course, mom know? can't either. So I guess maybe that's just so true. And that's why I don't worry about it. So <laughs> mom can't do it. And so I don't get stressed about it. I'm like, it's called a calculator, people. Where's the calculator? That's an accommodation. But um, anyway, Angela, you have a kiddo that is more impacted. And so I'm interested because, you know, in our relationship, you know, my son, you know, talks and is, you know, conversational and Cooper, you know, who's older, um, is not. And so, you know, we when we first started dating, it was kind of this, we had these whole different perspectives, like, oh, it's so much easier when you have a high functioning kid, like, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then now John and I have both had to kind of modify what our perspective is. So what are some of your pet peeves, Angela, or stereotypes that you don't necessarily like or miss even? Well, I mean, honestly, I'm just going to 
David really rolled out the red carpet with all of his points. And I, I think a lot of it, um, just kind of the whole, oh, my kid does that too. Like when Josh was little and he'd line up all of his cars or line up his toys. Oh, my son did that too. Cool. But no, this is like some serious stuff. Or um, Josh didn't talk for like four years. Um, and they're like, oh, it's fine. He's a boy. He's, he has an older sister. It's yeah. Yeah. All the- it's fine. My kid didn't do this. And I was like, well, cool. But I don't, I don't think this is right. It doesn't make sense. And he should have some vocalizations. And um, so that just gets um, almost like just tiresome. You're like, you're just emotionally drained every time someone's like, Oh, well, they're fine. It's fine. And I'm like, well, it's not. Yeah. Um, so we have recently uh, discovered, well, we decided to do a severity rating for Josh recently. And so he was placed level two, so mild to moderate. And um, it does have its pros and cons to to have that. Um I think where we lie, because in the beginning, when he first got diagnosed, he was labeled high functioning. Um, And so we we carried that on. We thought that was like, oh, he's high functioning. It's okay. I'm like, no, it's not. He, he, in some ways, like he's very adaptable because that's just the way we've, um, we've taught him to, hey, like, I will tell you what's going on, but let's, things are changing, but I will make you aware. So he's very adaptable with that. Um, but he's just not emotionally there with other kiddos and other peers. And so that's where kind of it, like, it's this weird, almost like ways, weights and balances, like we're constantly going back and forth, but, um, just like that big stereotype, like, oh, what's, what's his special skill? He's going to do this. He's going to be that he's going to be a contractor. He, cause he likes measuring tape. And I'm like, no, he just likes the way the sound that it makes. Um, or, and it's just, it's just people's idea of, of what it's like to, for a kiddo with autism and Holly, you mentioned it too. It's just like, oh, you you were blessed with this kiddo because you can handle it. And it's like, no, it's still really hard guys. Um, and it's really hard right now with all the social distancing with schools being closed. It's like, He's only supposed to theoretically have 90 minutes of school a day. And we are doing everything that we can um, grade level with all of our accommodations. And it's taking us like six hours a day to get it done. Amen to that, because that's what I was trying to tell the school. You're absolutely right. The expectation is for a typical sixth grader or fifth grader or fourth grader is 90 minutes. The reality is is that I spend three to four hours one-on-one with Caleb a day because I have to implement his accommodations. And so thank you. Cause you just validated my frustration because it's not 90 minutes in 90 no. minutes. Literally we have just barely opened the email, checked to see if anything's come in, then moved over to t- like, literally that's about 90 minutes. It's just checking to see if we have an assignment. Our meds barely kick in within the first 90 minutes. So <laughs> there's that. yes, absolutely. Yours is your child. Um, one thing I wanted to interject here that just to kind of work off what Angela said, um, you know, I think only amongst ourselves, amongst our community here, could we actually make this statement, which sounds pretty obtuse, but um, 
you know, we're blessed with this child. You know, some days we feel cursed with this child. <laughs> I'm just going to go out there and say that. Okay. Now, no, if we said that to anybody that didn't have a child like ours, they'd be, oh God, no, 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 no. It's like, no, it's okay to say that. In fact, you know, it was a counselor that I was with one day. It's like, it's okay some days to feel like you wish it never happened. That, you know, yeah. that this child wasn't there on a certain day. You know, it's okay to feel that way. And it's okay to share amongst this community, but you can't bounce that off of anybody else. It seems like outside of this community. Yeah. Well, and I'm with you there. Like, um, you know, for a long time, when the first start of COVID because of some health concerns in our family, I was keeping the kids like all the time because they were, my ex-husband has more exposure factors. And so he wanted to make sure that the kids didn't get infected. And I'm telling you, when we finally decided, okay, we're going to start at visitation again, I'm telling you what, like, I hate to say it, but it was like, thank goodness, because like, I need a break from just having to manage that, you know, all, you know, just managing all the little details and the executive function deficits and the frustration. And, and it was just kind of like, oh my gosh, um, it did a lot for my mental health. And so again, I'm loving teachers every day of, of quarantine of COVID-19 school closures. I love teachers just even more like the bit, the gift at the end of the school year is going to be massive because I really, um, I have a new appreciation for teachers. But who's the one who gets himself up and True. ready for the day? Of my four children, Caleb has caught me crying more often because I get so frustrated and overwhelmed just because I don't know how to help Caleb. And again, he wants, it's not that he's, <clears throat> it, it's nothing intentional. He's not trying to be frustrating or he's not trying to require more work and he's not trying to not get it. And so he has caught me just like, basically on my knees crying because I'm so frustrated and I'm so overwhelmed. And of course, you know, we have four kids home with us. You know, when John's kids are visiting, there's a total of seven of them. Fortunately, your oldest is not in school. And Cooper, because of the severity of how autism impacts him, like online school is just not possible. Um, but it's just, I, you know, he's caught me on my knees sobbing because like, I'm just so overwhelmed and frustrated. And so bless his heart this week. Um, he has been setting his alarm on his iPad and he gets himself up at eight o'clock. Um, and then he, he gets breakfast and then he comes in and he says, you know, I'm ready to start learning. And his motivation is he sets an alarm, a timer for 90 minutes because in his head, he thinks he should be done in 90 minutes. And that's why. Angela, I can tell you that in 90 minutes, like we're not even like we have literally just checked Outlook for emails. Then we have switched over to Teams to see what um, is coming through on that. And then we haven't even opened the assignment, even then started it. So that's why it's like this is ridiculous, this 90 minutes deal. So, um, yeah, so he does try um, because it's really not intentional that he's just it's more challenging, but, um, so I do love that, which goes to one of my other stereotypes is one of my big, um, pet peeves and of that stereotype is that kids with autism are not loving or affectionate. You know what I'm saying? Um, they do have the capacity to have empathy, not that they have empathy all the time in all situations, but he has the ability at times to realize that like, you know, um, he has empathy at times. Um, and so, and again, now with Cooper, Babe, do you think that Cooper has a good sense of empathy? No. <laughs> not even no. a little bit. <laughs> no. I mean, you saw how long it took me to answer that question. No. So clearly not no. Even a little, not even a little bit. Some of his favorite pastimes is cutting up my things, throwing them in the garbage, yeah. writing on the walls, pulling yeah. the walls apart. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 
being yeah. in the public. Being wherever he feels like, you know what I'm saying? So there's no empathy there. So well, be it. Some kiddos don't have the capacity to have empathy. I think it's a really horrible um, stereotype to, um, across the board, make that statement that people with autism are not loving and affectionate and don't have the capacity to have empathy. So Chevy, I'm going to get to you now because you've popped in and out. So you must be um, a busy night. Um, so what about you? When it, yes. You're kind of, um, you are relatively new to the autism because um, you're about what, a year and a half in, is it two years, a year and a half, two We're- years? We're two years in now. Two years in. Gosh, it just feels like yesterday, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> so, um, so this might be a good question for you. Like, um, have your, I mean, we'll talk about your pet peeves, stereotypes, and myths that you want to talk about. But also, do you have any that have changed over time? Like, in other words, when you first got the diagnosis and kind of entered our um, tribe, if you were, our autism tribe, and if those have changed? Because it's, I feel like I've been doing this for so long that like, uh, it's hard for me to have that perspective. I don't know if they've necessarily changed. I think when we first got diagnosed, I, I actually didn't feel like I knew a ton about autism. I just, I really had just very basic knowledge on like what autism really involved. Um, so I didn't really go in with, I guess, the preconceived idea of what it was because I had to learn so much about what actually it was and what kind of, you know, all the little quirks and things that come with autism, um, which I got a lot of uh, light bulbs in my head. because I was like, oh, yeah, check, 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 check. All this stuff's making sense now. Um, but as far as I guess my pet peeves, actually, I'd say probably my family, because when we uh, when we, I guess, got diagnosed, I mean, their reaction was very much like, oh, you know, she's three. She's so little. Jackson, your her, my son, you know, he didn't even start talking till he was three or four. And then once he started talking, I mean, you can't get him to shut up. You know, that, you know, that was really the reaction. And it was very much just like, you know, she could grow out of it and just like that it was very temporary. And just that was always just like their mindset of like, this is temporary. And this is like every time we've seen them, it's like, yep still still have autism magic just wake up one day and poof it's gone and so it's just funny because we'll be talking to them and then we're we're saying stuff like you know when she gets older she'll probably still be with us and they're like really like do you really think like by the time she's older she'll still be with you guys it's like yep like there's like an 80 percent chance that she's gonna be with us when she's an adult like she's not gonna be able to get those independent skills like just explaining that it's just they're still just like very slow to like accepting that this is like something that's gonna go on beyond this like initial young phase and it's like well now that she's five gonna be entering kindergarten we still can't have a conversation with her like you would normally like a back and forth conversation i think they're starting to kind of get the like okay like maybe this is hanging out for a little longer yeah um so that's just been kind of our annoyance it's just i think they just have this impression that like one day she's just gonna all the words are gonna come out and it's just we're gonna be in this normal range and it's like that's probably not happening yeah um and then just kind of repeating what you guys have kind of said you know talking to other parents you know her being a toddler they're like oh my kids had tantrums when they were three or four and it's like oh really did your kids smack their head like on the ground tell they had bruises all over their head same 
<laughs> so and it's like in your wall because they hit their head so hard. There's divots in your wall. Yeah. It's just so, and it's almost like you almost, it's like tit for tat, right? Like, like who, whose story is going to up the other? And it's like, you don't want to play that game because you're not going to win that game. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, so I guess those have been my biggest things is just that acceptance. And then also, I guess with Kira, because she's on that moderate level, I think people don't initially think she necessarily has a disability. So, cause she doesn't have like the look, I guess, and you know, spend five minutes and you'll, you'll get the stimming that there's something going on. But I think it's like, you know, the look, you know, like when we've traveled with her, you know, she's being really loud and stimming and all these things. And it's just like to other people, they don't necessarily understand she has a disability. She's just being a really loud, annoying toddler um so we actually make it a point to tell the people in the row in front of us and the row behind us that she has autism because the patient's level goes way up (laughs) um but it's like i think people don't quite get it initially because she doesn't have that like initial like oh that's a definitely a special needs child yeah it's just like why should they have to have like a look for you to like i don't know that that's a bit of a pet peeve of mine as well she's on that in the middle of the road. Yes. And I have to say that um, our like mamas that are in the Down syndrome world will all admit that and, and dads too will all admit that it is nice with the Down syndrome factor because there are physical characteristics that automatically make people understand without anything, any vocabulary having to be exchanged that like this child has a disability or this person has a disability. And so I will tell you that the our Down syndrome, um, you know, co-partners in the special needs world will say, oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, we're lucky in that regard. Um, I know in their world, of course, their big pet peeve is that, you know, oh, Down syndrome kids are just so happy and loving. And they're like, really? Really? Uh, huh. That's interesting because, like, I don't know how many people with Down syndrome you've been around, but, like, they are, are just as capable of being bears as a a person with autism or another um, intellectual developmental disability. And so I know that's one of theirs too, that they get um, a lot. Here's a question for all of you now. Um, How do you guys feel when like, I have a love hate relationship with um, like social media posts that are showing these real inspirational breakthroughs where all of a sudden you know, like a 12 year old just wakes up and talks. And so it goes viral and it's like, oh, look, like there's still hope that your kid's going to talk. Or um, there's that um, young lady, Carly, uh, I can't remember what her last name is, but she's like in her 20s now. And once she figured out the iPad, like she's written a book and she's like, you know, interview shows like a like a channel where she interviews guests and different things like that. Um, and again, I love them, but yet I hate them at the same time because I love them because it's a warm feel good and it and it's nice to see perseverance and that, you know, in some of these instances, you know, like even the good doctor, I have a love hate relationship with that because it's like, you know, all of a sudden like, oh, Holly, like your kid could be a doctor. Yeah, I don't think so. But, you know, so thanks, you know, NBC or whatever network show that network that is, because, you know, again, it's, you know, for these real life stories, it's like you. I love it. It gives me hope and I'm, I'm happy to see things, good things happening for other people. But on the other hand, I feel like that feeds into then some of this stuff where like I get shared, like I get sent like probably some of these same videos 16 times um, because every single person sees it. And then they send it to you in messenger like, oh, like, look, there's hope. And it's kind of like, mm, yeah, 
So like, what do you guys think? Maybe I'm again, David, I think sometimes I get just um, prickly about it. Um, and you have reminded me many times that we have to have grace and educate people. But I'm just curious, since we're talking about it, how do those make you guys feel? Um, you know, in, in my standpoint, it's like, hey, good for that individual. You know, great for them yeah. personally. Um, it, there's no expectation on my part that this is ever going to be us. If so, great. But that's a great story for the vigil. Um, and as you said, yeah, and I will get people on message. Oh, hey, take a look at this, how this worked on this, this. And I was like, that's fantastic. And they're doing so well at it. Or look, they're living independently. And it's like. Yeah. Hey, I mean, good for that individual. Good for that. You know, they grew up into that. Um, I. This is just so I don't set myself up with unrealistic expectations. Now, somebody will say, maybe that's a little pessimistic. Well, you're right. It is. I would rather be pleasantly surprised than build my expectations through the roof for something that I'm going to be disappointed by. Um, if she somehow um, transitions to where she can do that, or she blows our mind with something we never thought, fantastic. Um, and I might even put an inspirational post on Facebook about it, but because uh, you know, that's what we did. Have it sent to 16 times as a Facebook messenger. Like, cause that's it. Again, Angela, you're laughing there because it's, I mean, am I right? People are, am I right? You get it like 16 times. Oh yeah. Um, I, you know, it's such a double edged sword with these stories that go out because it, it is bringing uh, some sort of awareness to autism. And it's not making it this taboo thing to talk about. And it's, you know, more and more people are are willing, like uh, Chevy said, just that their patience level or their understanding level goes up because there's so many stories about kiddos with autism. Um, but it, it's like this: this isn't our reality. This is a, this is the very small percentage of kiddos on the spectrum, and but it's not my reality. And, you know, with Josh, I'm like, we're already planning, like our five-year plan is to move and have property with like an in-law suite for Josh to live in. Like, that's the plan. And yeah, like if, if he ends up like over time, I mean, he's only 11, but, and so if over time he develops these great, um, executive functioning skills or independence and if that goes up, awesome, cool. But I can't plan for that right now. And I cannot rack myself like just to get him there because I need to I need to meet him where he's at and go there. And I think that's what I have to really tell everybody I I talk with. Like I am meeting Josh where he's at now, because if I don't, he's not going to. It's not going to move forward. Yeah. And I actually I like exactly what you're saying, because this if COVID hasn't taught me it, anything else but this one thing is that is that meeting where he's at now like I, I can't get so involved in the fact that you know Caleb is a sixth grader and reality is is that he's actually probably doing third grade work um, and so that's really heartbreaking for me as a parent to see it for you know like up close and personal but the reality is you have to meet Caleb where he's at and I can't let that part drag me down too in the sense that you know, he's, is he going to be ready to launch at 18 like the rest of the kids? No. Is he going to be ready to launch at 25 with his executive function and his independent? Maybe. Um, could he launch maybe at 27, 28? Maybe that's more like it. So I have to meet him where, where he's at. And I'm never going to give up and not think that it's possible to develop those skills. But it's being patient and working at his pace developmentally where he's at so that 
it's um, it's realistic for him and for us because, you know, you can't, the ark wasn't built overnight. And I have to keep telling myself that the ark wasn't built overnight. So what about you, Chevy? How are you? What do you think about those feel good shares? I enjoyed watching them because <laughs> it's nice to see those wins for those families because you know that there was definitely struggle to get to those big moments that they're, you know, displaying. But also at the same time, like, I don't know, we shouldn't have to wait for this like momentous moment that's going to like fix it or show that they're just as good, if not better. And I don't know, I just, that kind of rubs me weird a little too. <laughs> it's like, we don't we have to wait for this like moment that they're one day, she's going to be on America's Next Top Model or whatever, you know, <laughs> some show that like the first autistic girl, I don't know what, <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't know. At the same time, I do enjoy seeing that they're being included a lot more in shows. Like it definitely is nice. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I can't, I can't really live with that thought of like, Oh, one day she's just going to be the one that's going to open up the coffee shop and hire all autistic people. Like who knows? Yes. <laughs> it's like, so, so true. Like, yeah. Well, and actually Chevy, if you don't mind me sharing the story, but since you shared it on social media, I feel like it would be, it's fine to talk about. But one of the things that is so strong in my mind is the day where you had posted that real mom story of your, your movie theater fail. You took your daughter Kira mm-hmm. to um, the fro- was it the Frozen Two movie? Yes. And um, it, I mean, you you did all the things. You got the popcorn, you got the stuff, and you you know like did all the things to try and make that as successful as possible. And you lasted how many minutes, Chevy? Twenty. Twenty. Twenty minutes. Twenty minutes into that whole thing. She got, yes, she got out and down out of that theater six times in twenty minutes. Yes. <laughs> right. And so you shared that because it's like that was. It was so sad because I'm like, oh, girl, I feel you. Um, But yet I felt like it was a really good like um, advocacy moment so that people under this is what it looks like. This is a real life what I'm I'm dealing with. So, okay, so what what Chevy doesn't realize, of course, is then then shortly later, um, another autism parent shares who has a daughter who's older, um, but more significantly impacted. So moderate to severe. And they went to Frozen 2 and they did all the things. They took their uh, behavior tech with them. They got the popcorn. They did all the things. And they finally had that moment, that success where she was able to actually successfully make it through the whole movie. And so it was this like shining moment of whatever. And you were so gracious because you commented on that. And I thought like my heart would like hurt for you a little bit more because here you had just previously shared this experience of like what you guys had tried. And it was so authentic and so like it was a real good thing for people to see and then here was this other parent that like had the home run you know what I mean and you were like you really were a shining star but it just it was in that moment I was just like wow you know this is one of those weird days where these two experiences right there unfolded in front of me and it's like this is autism one epic fail and then one all the stars aligned and it yep. in that one. Now, will they ever be able to duplicate that again? Which is something that she was totally honest about. Will we ever be able to have the stars align and be able to do this again? We don't know. We don't know. But we're just going to appreciate the fact that it happened that one time. Uh, but you were you were really kind and you commented on it and you were happy for them. And I thought, wow, you are a rock star. So I was actually the thing is, is you know what? I, I know their family and I know how impacted Lucy is. So the fact that they had that win 
there was not a bone in my body that was like jealous or disappointed. I was just like, good for you. Like, that's amazing. I was so happy for them. And I was like, yeah, and all my normal friends that took their daughters and they wore princess dresses, they, I can be annoyed at them. But yeah, right. yeah exactly. We can, <laughs> be, yeah, exactly. We can be mad at other people, but our tribe, we're like all rejoicing, but still my heart was like sad for you because you tried, but Again, we don't give up. We keep trying, right? Does that mean that we stop and we never go to a movie theater? No, we do. Um, but that was just one of those like moments where it was just revealing itself in social media world. And I was just like, oh, my. Like, these are that, like, the raw... Stuff. Maybe we'll try it when she's seven. Who knows? Yes, exactly. <laughs> we'll try it again. And then you're going to post it and you're going to be like, and here was four years ago. And yeah. right? it's going to be like Frozen 4 or something like that. Well, it will be like Frozen 4 or something. Yeah. David's just like, oh, please, God, tell me no. You have two daughters. So don't tell me that you haven't dressed the girls up and gone to the princess like movie premieres. Come on, David. Like everyone. I mean, no, like like every single one. Yes. Yeah. I No. Yeah. Yes, I have I, girls. I got into a, uh, uh, I was a dad's page or somewhere, and I had to correct somebody on, um, you know, the history of Anna and Elsa and how like um, the lady uh, Rapunzel, you know, factored in. And I'm like, good God, I got nothing but girls on. Like, <laughs> have this conversation. I'm going to reveal one though uh, that actually came about in uh, in a meeting at the Isaac Foundation, which it just it, it kind of blindsided me because. You guys were talking, and it's about the siblings of people with uh, kids with autism. You're like, you know, and th- then you have your, you know, and what the what the child does is it makes accommodations and nurturing for their sister and for the it makes accommodations for the parents. I'm like, who the hell has that kid? <laughs> my, <laughs> like, do those kind of kids exist? Because I know that uh, in my my typical kid is a flaming ball of rage and hates the fact that her sister has autism. And if there's anything. You know, so much less making accommodations for her. She's sometimes preying on it and will do so. Um, you know, we have to tell her she's wrong and we hope that she's absorbing that. And maybe someday as she gets older, but I'm like, no, we didn't have that kid. Is that a girl thing though? I wonder, cause my daughter, same thing. She's like this, this raging fury when it comes to Cooper, but yet his brother is super, he will accommodate Cooper to the end of the earth. Everything that he does, if he can, he involves Cooper with him, whether it's taking him out with his friends when they go do stuff or they go fishing or, or whatever. I just wonder, maybe it's a girl thing. And I think maybe uh, sometimes because there's so much emphasis and so much time spent with the affected child that they become, they're jealous, frankly. I mean, it's hard. There's no way to, we talked about this before. There's a way to balance the attention that, that one child gets versus another, especially in this world. Um, and I think that my daughter's getting better, but she's still, uh, she's not happy. No, it's I about part the of quarantine. Just part. the type of being younger and, you know, so desperate for her older sister's affection. I mean, to the point where, like, I, I remember up until like when she was five years old, she would just plead with Morgan, but I love you, you know? And then at some point the switch flipped and she's like, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm done with you. And I'm done trying to, you know, interact with somebody who has no capability to interact with me unless it's a very rigid structured fashion. And so she was just done. Okay, David, I have to tell you, I read this book that was actually given to me by an autism mom. I think it was Amanda Hansen. And you actually should read it because it was um, the sibling wrote the book as an adult. And she has a sister with autism that's moderately affected. And so 
she her book was basically about like how she checked out and she was like gone and when she was home she would do the obligatory visit with her sister but anyway it was this whole interesting um internal discussion about why she had so much resentment and different things like that i feel like it would be a good read for you because she came around as an adult um, but she had a lot of negative feelings when um, she was younger. So I, I can't remember the name of the book right now because that's part of my my working memory. I don't remember titles of things and authors, but I have the book. I know exactly where it's at. Um, so it, it might be a good read for you to give you hope that there might be that. And I absolutely think you're right. Um, his daughter, McKenna, was telling us just um, a little bit ago because of quarantine, she's home with him a lot during the day because his son, who literally tries to rearrange his whole world to accommodate his brother, he's working now because he's graduated from high school. And so it kind of so funny. She was like, yeah, he's getting three square meals a day. When I eat, he eats. Like, it's not, I mean, like this whole, like, you know, I was just like, woo. Like, I mean, she's, she's run a tight ship over there, like on the days where she's home with Cooper, because she's just like, and no, like she has no issues. There's no guilt. There's no feeling bad about it. It's like, nope, I'm the keeper of the kitchen and I say no. And so it's interesting because. You know, the boys in our world are like, oh, it's fine. Here, I'll make Cooper another frozen pizza. Like, he doesn't need another frozen pizza. Like, just say no. Um, anyway, so, um, yeah. So, there's maybe, I know, Angela, you have the son-daughter duo. Like, any is that similar at all? or? Oh, yeah. Uh, Robin loves and hates her brother all at the same time. So, at, at the same time, like, and then all throughout the day, um, and I think a lot of it comes down to where she sees uh, myself making extra accommodations for him, like talking him through things or helping him. And she's like, well, you don't help me clean my room. And I was like, well, yeah, you don't have autism. So that's why I'm not helping you. And I was like, and really, I'm just telling him I'm not. I was like, I'm not physically helping him. I'm just telling him, pick up your clothes, put your toys away. And he'll do it. Which is what we uh, do too. So same thing. Step one, pick up the shoes, put them in the basket. Yeah. Then come talk to me. Then I'll give you step two. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's this uh, there's this TV show. Oh, gosh. And I can't remember. A- Atypical. There it is. Yes. And um, I, I love and hate that show. But I love it mostly because the siblings and it's a brother, sister, they fight all the time. And the sister is always like, like wrestling with him and giving him noogies and just being super intentionally mean to her brother. And I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, if, you know, if media is projecting this, then I'm okay with Robin, like hating and loving her brother. Yeah. It must be somewhat normal. It's what I did when I watched that show. I'm totally with you. Love, hate. But when I saw that part, I'm like, okay, maybe that actually is the most normal part about our life right now is that if it's in this show and this is what I'm seeing, maybe that's like normal. What about you, Chevy? Because you have it a little bit different. So Kira is your only daughter and you have two older boys. And so John's experiences with his son and with my sons, my sons are way more accommodating um, than my daughter. Um, so how does that work in your family? The boys definitely tend to accommodate like whatever she wants for the most part. I'd say the, our middle child who's nine, um, he probably, he, he definitely accommodates, but at some, some points he's just like, you know what, you get whatever you want, you get whatever, you know, he gets irritated and we're like, you know what, let her have whatever it is that you're wanting because look at the stuff that you get to do. Look at the opportunities you get to do. 
Like, you know, she doesn't get those things. So if she gets, I don't know, an extra candy or an extra turn on a game or whatever it might be, it's like, really, is it, is it going to kill you to, you know, do that? But I mean, for the most part, they're good about it and they do accommodate her and try to include her when they're, you know, she wants to go bounce on the trampoline to just walk up to them and just say bounce, bounce, bounce. Tell they're like, okay, you've annoyed me. Let's just take her out so she'll stop. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'd say for the most part, they do they do pretty good good with her. Um, I was just going to mention briefly though. I we went to a, a autism conference last summer, and uh, there was actually a girl who's an adult now. I mean, she's like in college, uh, but she actually did this whole talk about how her two brothers with autism basically ruined her life. And I was like, really surprised because I was like, you know, I was expecting to you know, hear this like really inspirational. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, they got whatever they want. They took all our parents' attention. Like they'd have to melt down. We'd have to leave. And it was very much, but I think what she was trying to accomplish is just to show like kind of the rawness of like it, siblings really get put through the ringer. Yeah. Um, when it comes to things and growing up and, um, then maybe not having to get to do certain things as a family because of having siblings that are more impacted. Um, and so I think she was just basically just trying to show kind of like the rawness of it, but basically saying that like at the same time, you know, she loves them to the end of the earth, but at the same time she could admit that she also resents them. So it just, it was interesting to hear a female perspective um, growing up with two very impacted siblings. So I just thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I, that wasn't where I thought you were going with that, Chevy, until you said they ruined her life. Like, I was thinking it was going to be this warm, yeah. fuzzy conference. She kind of, I mean, she she balanced it, but I mean, part of it, most of it was pretty not lo- lovely. <laughs> it's hard to hear. And so this is where I'm going to make a shameless plug for our Isaac Foundation Sibling Spotlight, because Chevy, you have your kid in Sibling Spotlight. Angela, your son is, uh, or your daughter is in Sibling Spotlight. And then David, your daughter is in Sibling Spotlight. Obviously, my daughter is in it too. And so I think that that actually, you know, as we're talking about this, it really it does impact the siblings and they have to have a place where it can normalize and where they can feel comfortable and safe sharing some of those raw moments, like what you were talking about, Chevy, at this wonderful conference where you're like, Oh wow. Okay. So we've ruined, you know, as parents, we're helping to ruin our neurotypical kids' lives because we do have to accommodate and we do have to make different, um, you know, calls depending on the kid and their needs. And so anyway, so we do a, we, offer a sibling spotlight program where we have a facilitator that um, works with our kids and we have kids all the way from six years old, all the way up into teenagers, the older kids then become mentors because here's one thing that I have found and um, Chevy, you have an older kid too. um, And so does John. One of the things I found is that um, for my older kids, I would take them to counseling to talk about their frustrations about um, some of these things. And after a while, they're like, no, I'm fine. You know, you can take the kid to counseling, but you can't force them to talk. Um, so what we do with the older kids in our program is, is that we use them as mentors. So if I say to my kids, hey, would you be willing to volunteer as a mentor for some younger kids that have siblings with autism because they're not doing OK? Um, since you're doing so awesome in your mind, uh, maybe you could use some of those skills that you've developed and pass those on to these younger kids. And so through the help of the facilitator and then, of course, our um, intern, our sibling spotlight intern, who's a college student that works is going to school to work with kids with disabilities, um, we're able to have some of those conversations, give them that safe place where they can talk about some of these feelings. And 
Um, so hopefully they don't feel in the end that it was a complete ruin of their life. Hopefully we're teaching them some coping skills um, and giving them, you know, and showing them the value that, you know, talking to people that have similar experiences, kind of like what we do during these podcasts, um, is actually really um, cathartic. You know, it's very therapeutic. Um, Dave, you've said in previous podcasts that um, this is almost like your therapy, right? Yeah. And again, it's because of what we talked about here. We can share about the misconceptions, but we can also share at a level that just it's just speaking a different language. It's a, it's a language that nobody else, you know, can even really comprehend. They can try to understand all that. I mean, it's like the people that, uh, you know, we've said this before. And like one of the first podcasts, the best parents in the world are the ones that don't have kids. Because, you know, they just, they, they have all the notions, ideas, and they, you know, they know how to do it. And if you just tried this, this, and this, and then you're thrown into the chaos and all those things that you said you would never do as a parent, you've done them all now. And it's the same type of thing here. It's this club that, like, you couldn't possibly explain it. And, you know, you don't, a lot of times you interact with people you don't know, and then you know them immediately because you're all, all in that same you know, situation. Yeah, so true. It's that kinship, like what John said. All right. Well, thank you guys for joining me. We finally got this one recorded with like technology cooperating and everybody being available. So I really appreciate that. Um, This has been one again, um, you know, during mom's nights, dad's nights and different like events, we always, you know, kind of some of these pet peeves, myth stereotypes kind of come up in it. And it felt like, oh, this would be a great topic. So I appreciate that you guys um, made yourselves available for this recording. And we'll go ahead and sign off now um, on this episode of Isaac's Autism in the Wild. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.